time together this evening. I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you for their faithfulness. And Father, it's not just a faithfulness to me or, or even necessarily a faithfulness to this class, but Father, it's a faithfulness to you, and it's a faithfulness, Lord, uh, specifically to the plans and purposes that you have for each person that's here tonight. Father, I thank you that, that we have come here in faith. We've come here uh, being led by the Holy Spirit, and we've come here believing, Father, that you have a greater purpose for our lives that you are equipping and preparing. Thank you, uh, Lord, for uh, each person. Thank you, Father, for the way um, each life is connected in some way uh, to you and to your purposes. And, um, Father, we just pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would manifest your glory, uh, Lord, through your word tonight, and um, that when we uh, leave here, Lord, that, that we will all be so glad that we came and, and put forth the effort uh, that was necessary. Uh, to, uh, to be present. So thank you for good things, Father, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so <clears throat> let's do this. Just uh, a quick review, and I know we've got a couple of uh, new faces tonight. Um, in the greater part of our study, we've been answering a question, um, what is man? And we've come to a section in answering that um, where we're looking at uh, the characteristics that we have because we were created in the image and likeness of God. So, again, just to remind you, image and likeness um, means that we look like God looks, but also that we function the way He functions. And so if a machine, for example, is not functioning properly, um, in order to effectively repair it or fix it, um, then you need to know how it's supposed to function, you know, to begin with. In other words, if we don't understand how something was originally intended to function, then um, how can we ever correct or repair or fix, um, you know, when it's not working uh, as intended or, or as it should. So we were created to look like God looks, but also to function the way He functions. And so God created us with this in mind. Now, we've said that and are identifying some very simple on the surface, it seems simple, at least to me, uh, characteristics that we possess, um, and yet it's these simple characteristics, abilities, um, that are actually so powerful um, in our lives and have such powerful effect upon our lives and, and even you know, those around us. We've said of these things that they're hiding in plain sight, and that sometimes because we are so familiar with these different aspects and characteristics, we've never stopped to consider um, how powerful they are. So, for instance, we have the ability to reason, form opinions, and make choices. Uh, to reason, form opinions, and make choices. Or just simply put, we have the ability to think for ourselves and make up our own minds. How powerful is your thinking? Well, <laughs> as you think in your heart, so are you, the Bible says. The next thing we've looked at is your ability to believe. And so, again, how powerful is your ability to believe? Jesus said all things are possible to him who believes. And from there, we went into a brief study on the subject of faith, but also we looked at how our ability to believe is um, used against us in the sense that at the, at the heart of um, all fear is our ability to believe. In other words, if we did not have the ability to believe, then we would not have the ability to fear. In the same way that if we did not have the ability to believe, we would not have the ability to, to be in faith. 
So God created us with this unique characteristic, this ability to believe. And as is the case with all of these, we need to understand them because your enemy is trying to manipulate these things and use them against you. Okay? And that is uh, extremely important. Again, for those of you new to the class, uh, some of the things that we've said already about these characteristics is that they can either be your best friend working for you or your worst enemy working against you. And this is why Satan takes advantage of ignorance on our part. When we don't understand these things or the power and, and influence and effect that these things have on our life reality, then it makes it very easy for Satan to manipulate these things against us. We identified at the, at the root or at the heart of all addiction uh, a vicious cycle where fear and bondage or fear and addiction feed off of one another, but that it is actually fear that leaves the door open to addiction, and if we only address the cycle from the addiction side and ignore the fear, then we are once again predisposed or inclined to return to that bondage or that addiction. Amen? Okay, am I going too fast for you? All right, so the third thing we said that we possess the capacity or the ability to do is that man is a being with the ability to desire. The ability to desire. Now, when we talk about desire, we see that this word or this concept is presented to us in different ways throughout the Scriptures. Um, for instance, we see the, the idea of a will, um, if someone wills something, and, and again, that will and want are related words. Um, we also see the word lust that is used. And uh, most of the time, at least in the uh, you know, New Testament, when we see the word lust, it carries with it the connotation of something that would be negative or considered bad. Um, but that's not always the case. For instance, uh, Galatians talks about the lust of the Spirit. So lust is just a, a, a very intense uh, form of desire. So when God created you, He created you with the ability, let's kind of go back over them because these all work together. We said of these characteristics that they're dynamic and interactive as opposed to just stationary. They don't just sit there and lay there. They're operating in our lives. They're producing results in our lives. But they also interact with one another. So, you know, we take our ability to form opinions and choose, make choices, um, our ability to, to believe, to, to, to hear things and, and, and you know, uh, allow the thoughts to form these beliefs in our hearts. And then we have conjoined in with all of that this ability to want, to desire. Um, another one the Bible talks about is your affections, to set your affections on something. That's a, a, a biblical phrase. But I think we all understand affection, don't we? Show affection. A lot of times we think of that in terms of a relationship with another person. Um, but in this case, the affections is just talking about basically you setting your heart on something, some person, um, you know, uh, another, another person or even another thing, right? Now, I believe that this is where we were last week, or week before last, last time we were together. And that's in uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter. And so let's, let's open there tonight. I want to, sometimes when we get to the end of a class, I have a tendency to, to rush it. And I, I don't want to rush this part because it's, on the surface may seem so simple, but um, I'm telling you, if you can get a hold of this principle, the, um, 
and, and really begin to, to, to work towards making some change in these areas, it'll, it'll produce uh, some great results in your life. So, uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, and um, <coughs> let's begin at verse 19. Jesus speaking, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He then says in verse 21, and this is, again, an important principle. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And I know that it almost sounds like we're changing subjects, but really we're not. It's Jesus continuing to build uh, verse upon verse upon verse, uh, just reinforcing the same truth. And so let's, one more verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon would be like a form of money. Um, you cannot serve God and money would be one way um, to translate that. Now, <clears throat> When Jesus begins this part of his Sermon on the Mount, he is instructing us about laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven, as opposed to laying up for ourselves treasures upon the earth. And, you know, this goes back to the whole, you know, difference between things that are of the flesh and things that are of the spirit and what we're going to focus on and what we're going to invest ourselves into and what we're going to set our minds upon. But the key thing here, without going into great detail, is that Clearly, Jesus is establishing that the choice is ours. In other words, I choose to either lay up treasure in heaven or lay up treasure upon the earth. And I make that choice by the way I manage my time, my resources, my efforts, so forth and so on. But the idea is that if we will lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven, then our heart is going to be and affections, if you will, are going to be in heaven as opposed to connected with things here upon the earth. Now, I don't want to, there's a lot that we could talk about. We could spend three or four weeks here, and I think I mentioned this when we first began this section of our study. Um, we could get bogged down to Easter right here, because there's a lot to all this, and, and I, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit, but I also know that, you know, kind of doing a debrief in past years, that I have invested probably too much time in this so I, I want to I want to try not to do that all right but if you remember now Jesus is laying a foundation for something that John is going to talk about later and it has to do with loving this world right and and how you know we get all caught up in we get all invested in we get all connected with this world and the things of this world and how that is you know counterproductive how that becomes a hindrance to us being able to have God's best and do God's best in our lives. So Jesus is laying the groundwork for something here that, that is going to continue to be built upon um, as the New Testament on, unfolds moving forward. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? So for instance, later on when, when the, Apostle, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says to set your affection on things above. Do you see? All this ties back in 
to where, where Jesus first began to tell us, don't, don't lay up treasure on the earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. And so, you know, the one thing that was a great reality for me was when I realized that if I make a deposit in a heavenly account, um, I can also make a withdrawal from that account here in heaven, on, on the earth. In other words, it's not like, well, we did all this, now it's in heaven, and we won't benefit from it till we get there. That's not how it works, all right? But let me, let me try to stay focused. Verse 21, to me, is really the, the heart or the key of all these verses that we've read so far this evening. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, who decides where your treasure is? <laughs> you decide that, okay? You decide it. In other words, you decide what you treasure. You decide what is important to you. You decide what you're going to make a priority in your life, right? So Jesus is talking about a deliberate you know, decision, a choice that we make with our time, our effort, our resources, uh, our gifts, what have you. Now, I don't like mean physical gifts. I mean the, the, the abilities that you have. Some of you can sing, some of you can write, some of you are artistic, so forth and so on, administrative, all these things. How we invest those things, how we use those things. I mean, how many times do we you know, hear of some world-famous singer out in the world that began singing in church? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm nobody's judge, right? But you know, we decide how we're going to use the gifts um, that, that we have, that we've been given. So when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, one of the things that escaped me for a lot of years was the truth that I decide where my treasure is. And now, here is what I want you to see. And Jesus explained this further as we move forward. By choosing to treasure something, by choosing to value something, by, by making a, a, an, an a choice, an act of the will, a deliberate, intentional setting of one's affections, right? By choosing to do that, our heart will follow that. So there's a lot of times, you know, people say, well, you know, my heart's really not into that. Um, again, I'm not judging anybody. I know people come in and out of the class, and we, we establish that, you know, from day one, that that would happen. Be prepared for it, okay? And so, again... I'm not, I, don't, I have no individual in mind, right? But somewhere along the way, people have dropped out of this class because their heart was not in it, okay? All right? You say, well, you know, Pastor, you know, um, my heart is in it. And so what's the difference between my heart being in it and someone else's heart not being in it? Well, according to Jesus, you chose to treasure it. You chose to make it a priority in your life. And if we will consistently make something a priority in our life, eventually our heart will be connected to it. That's what he's saying here. What you treasure, you decide what you treasure. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is why in Proverbs he tells us to guard our heart. Right? Guard our heart. Protect our heart. Because from your heart spring forth the issues of life. And you know, Satan, of course, is trying to gain ground and control when it comes to um, that part of us. And so one of the ways is when we begin to set our affections on things that are not healthy for us, if, if we're not careful, our heart will be attracted or drawn to that. 
So verse 22, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. So the imagery here is that of an oil lamp. Some translations say the light of the body is the eye. But lamp is a more accurate translation. Because the idea here is that of an oil lamp. And the way an oil lamp works is there is a reservoir that has oil in it, a wick that drops down into the oil, and then up above that you light the wick, and the wick appears to be burning, but really it's not the wick that's burning. The wick is a conduit that as the flame sits on top of that wick, as it burns, it draws oil from the reservoir up and continues to feed the flame. You follow me? My mom and dad have, uh, you know, kerosene, they're not kerosene, but that's what we, you know, those old type lamps. And it's had the same wick in it since I was a kid, 50 years. They light it every time the power goes out, right? It's because, again, there is a, a drawing that takes place there. So he says the lamp of the body is the eye. What he's saying here is that whatever you set your eye upon, whatever you set your focus upon, you're going to be drawn towards that thing, and that thing or that person is going to be drawn towards you. It is a spiritual law here. So this is why we have to be very careful as to what we and who we set our eye upon, who we set our affections upon, that which we choose to desire. Now sometimes this gets mixed up in our lives, and it, and it seems to happen seamlessly, or it seems to happen in reverse order, that all of a sudden you know, we just fell in love, or all of a sudden... Something or someone caught our eye and, and now we desire that thing or we desire that, per, that person, right? I've, I've literally had people tell me they couldn't live without another person that they didn't know two days ago. I'm like, you didn't even know this person was on planet Earth two days ago and now you're telling me you can't live without them. Do you, do you see how this works, right? But it's, 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 an, it's an attraction that's there, okay? So the good news is that we can, for instance, make the Word of God and, and the study of His Word a priority in our lives, we can make church attendance a priority in our lives, we can make worship a priority in our lives, we can make ministry a priority in our lives, and even if at the onset that's really, your heart doesn't seem to be in it, but it's because it's the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do, it's the wise thing to do, but as you are, are consistent in that and persist in that, next thing you know, it's not something you have to do, it's something you get to do. Next thing you know, it's like, you know, uh, used to like, oh man, is it Sunday again? Now it's like, when is it going to be Sunday again? You follow what I'm saying? Because now your heart has become connected to that. The desire, uh, again, is at the root um, of these things. The ability to desire or to treasure or to set your own affections. Yes. Absolutely. 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 And I, I won't say her name, but there's some ladies in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. 
uh, one of our sisters shared her testimony this morning, and she talked about um, a member of her family uh, on her mother's side who sexually abused her uh, between seven and nine. It was about it was two years. I don't remember which five and seven, seven, six. Anyway, when she was young, um, and she every Sunday, yeah, her parents had this routine where they would go and do whatever and the uncle would keep her and every Sunday for two years a little better than two years he sexually molested her okay now it's yeah it it is disgustingly common you're absolutely right Michael uh heaven help us all right but here's the thing God has done such a work in her life at the foundry that she was recently around this family member and for the first time in her life exactly what you're saying Chris um no anger no animosity no fear uh, she said, I actually felt sorry and bad for him. Right? That is big, brass. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. All right? But now, okay. Yeah. It's more common, if you think about it, Brittany, it's more common when we hear a testimony that it has happened, then it, then it has not. Then it has not. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. Family or close friend, that's right. It's horrible. It's, it's, it's like, you, well, it's like Michael said. Absolutely. But, but notice with our sister and with others, you, you have to prioritize forgiveness. Not just for that person, but you have to value and, and, and set your heart and mind upon the concept of forgiveness, right? That we've been forgiven. Thank God we've been forgiven. We've wronged others. others that's where you know, all of this begins, and, and eventually the heart even changes to go along with that, all right? Now, we said that God is a God of desire, and the Bible makes that very clear. And, of course, we see the greatest object of his desire, affection, love, will, want, if you will, is you and me. Amen. He is um, emotionally connected to you. He is eternally committed to you. And he is enthusiastically concerned for you. Amen. Everyone needs God, but not everyone desires him. Not everyone, <clears throat> everyone needs God, but not everyone desires him. Now, let's... Um, Praise God. Yes.
Amen. <laughs> well, Matthew says it counts double when you don't feel like it. So anyway, um, <laughs> let's go to James 1, and um, we will just, we'll just, uh, instead of touch on this, we'll just touch on this just a little bit, right? Touch is lighter than touch, amen? Uh, James chapter 1, and um, verse number 12, we'll jump into verse 12. So talk, let's talk a little more about desire, and then uh, we'll move on to some other stuff. But I, I know there was some of this that we didn't get covered, and then none of it was covered on the uh, CD since uh, yours truly forgot to push the record button. So uh, anyway, so we'll get at least a little bit of this uh, on recording at the same time. All right. So if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, these verses will be very familiar with you, but uh, the main service, I mean. Uh, so James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. When he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14, key verse, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, we actually have the word desire here twice. It's just in verse 18, it's translated will. Of his own will he brought us forth, or we could very easily translate that word will. Of his own desire he brought us forth by the word of truth. And, of course, he's talking about our desires versus are compared to um, God's desires. So if you'll notice, at the heart of every sin, there is temptation. And at the heart of every temptation, there is a misplaced desire. He said that we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Or the King James Version says, by our own lust and enticed. Turn with me now to 1 John chapter 2. And verse number 15, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15, amen. All right, so as you're turning, can you turn and listen at the same time? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. What, what we understand, of course, from these verses is that God has a pathway for our lives, amen, because He has a destiny for our life, for your life, for my life. He has a destiny, and there's a pathway that leads to the fulfillment of that destiny, and we walk that pathway by faith. Now, the enemy of your soul is trying to slow you down, push you back, reroute you, ultimately try to get you off of that pathway of faith because the pathway of faith leads to the fulfillment of your destiny and the life that God ultimately created you to live. So when we talk about misplaced desire, notice that the enemy, Satan, cannot make you do anything, but he knows that if he can manipulate your desire, right, then he can... Uh, have a really good shot at manipulating your choices. So 1 John chapter 2, and um, let's see here, let's begin at verse number 15. We mentioned this verse a moment ago. Um, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at me for a moment, okay? And I, I've been convicted of this here recently myself, and, and I give everyone in this room uh, the, 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 the right, the, 
the permission uh, to correct me should you hear me saying silly things like this. But, but let's, let's watch how we use the word love. Um, it's, it's an extremely important word that gets used uh, very loosely, okay? All right? Um, let's start saying we enjoy pizza instead that we love it. Amen? You hear what I'm saying? Let's start saying we enjoy donuts instead we love them. Amen? <laughs> let's start saying that our, that our phone is, is, a, is, is, a, is a blessing to us. But, you, you know, we start talking about loving electronics and loving food and loving this and loving that. Um, again, I... You know, if, if you think I'm being legalistic, then you just ask the Lord what he'd have you do. But, you know, one of the strategies the enemy uses against us is to devalue our words in our own ears so that a word doesn't mean what it is supposed to mean. It's lost its meaning. It's lost its value. And so, you know, we talk about love and everything we see. Then we start trying to really communicate to someone that we genuinely love how much we love them, the word just doesn't carry the same weight. You know, it's like, oh, so do you love me like the same way you love pepperoni? You know, I mean, what is this, right? So, I mean, I understand the word can be used in different ways, but, um, but notice here, how many times do we refer to things in this world, you know, as something that we love, right? So we said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, he's going to give us three things here. The lust of the flesh, or I think the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will, or what God desires, the desires of God, abides forever. Okay? Now, we see three areas here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, right? So I don't think we need to overcomplicate these things, um, but I think it would help us to recognize that it's going to be in these three areas where Satan is going to try to work against us. So we talk about the lust of the flesh. We're talking about the natural appetites of the physical body. We're talking about the natural appetites of the physical body. And of course, these things have to do with um, sleep, um, food, drink, and of course, sex. Those are some of the key areas of um, natural desires of the flesh. And of course, these are areas where Satan tries to work against us. When we get to spirit, soul, and body, we'll talk about these things in greater detail. But when we talk about the flesh, um, we're not just talking about the skin, um, you know, that we see uh, on the outward part of us, but the physical body is fearfully and wonderfully made, um, and it is comprised of an elaborate system of, of uh, neurons and, and neurochemicals and um, things like dopamine and adrenaline and norepinephrine and all, all these different things that your body is capable of producing that um, we wind up uh, getting very used to and uh, they produce all kinds of pleasurable feelings. And so when we say lust of the flesh, you know, all of that is, is a part of what is being communicated here. Um, again, uh, you know, double bacon cheeseburger, boneless skinless chicken breast. I mean, it's not even in the same category, right? 
And so we don't call them comfort foods in the South for, you know, no reason. Um, high fat, high carbohydrate, um, you know, high sugar type foods. Um, they affect us physically. They release uh, uh, neurochemicals into our bloodstream that are, you know, pleasurable, so forth and so on, comforting. Um, so again, all of this has to do is wrapped up in the lust of the flesh. When he talks about the lust of the eyes, obviously the eyes are a part of the physical body, part of the flesh, but this goes back to that principle we looked at uh, that Jesus introduced us to, what we set our eye upon, what we set our focus upon, and that law of attraction where that thing is drawn to us and we're drawn um, to that thing. So if we set our eye upon the things of God, then we're going to be drawn to those things and those things are going to be drawn to us. He said, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Amen? Now the third one is the pride of life. The pride of life. And of course, you know, the original sin from Lucifer involved pride. We know that, that at the heart, at the root of all sin in our lives is pride. And basically, the pride of life is when you take your life in your own hands. When you make yourself your own God. When you strike out on your own, apart from God, to do your own thing. And we've certainly all done that. The Bible says we all, like sheep, have gone astray, turned everyone our own way, right? And that Father laid upon Jesus the iniquity, uh, the sin of us all. So it's these three key areas, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, in, um, if I could just real quick uh, make some connections here. And we don't have to turn to the Scriptures and read them all, but but in Luke 4 and in Genesis 3, okay? In Luke chapter 4 and in Genesis 3, what we have in these two passages is, um, let's start with the Genesis 3 passage. This is where um, Eve was tempted and she sinned. And then Adam was tempted with her and he sinned as well. And I want you to notice that in... Um, in each of these three areas, there is that element. Um, the lust of the flesh, the, that the, the fruit was good for food. The Bible says that she, because Satan manipulated her thoughts, she began to look at the fruit in a different light. Okay, And then ultimately, um, Adam and Eve struck out on their own to do their own thing um, because in the day they ate of the fruit, what they would be, like God, so to speak. So do you see again how there are all three of these elements involved in Eve's temptation? Did I go over that too fast? Are you following me? Okay. Now, in Luke chapter 4, let's go ahead and turn there. Amen. Luke chapter 4. In this particular occasion, this is when Jesus was tempted. Okay? And, um, you know, it is of no... Uh, in other words, it's not a coincidence that Jesus was actually tempted in three areas, okay? And um, so in the first area, uh, let's go with, uh, let's go verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Now, I don't know if you've ever been like super duper hungry before, 
Um, I hope that you've never been as hungry as Jesus was right here. Um, at, a, at a 40 day fast of someone who doesn't have, let's just say, a lot of extra calories to burn stored around their midsection, um, at 40 days is when your body begins to digest its own organs um, to, uh, to, to main, for fuel. Okay? That's why when you see pictures of kids who are starving, their, their legs and arms are very small, but their bellies are, are bloated. It's because their body's digesting their internal organs for food. So this is where Jesus was. Okay? If you've ever fasted more than a few days, you know that you will get past the part that we normally think of as, as hungry, hunger pains, you know, the growling of the stomach and that sort of thing. And after about the third day, it, it's almost kind of like just a weakness sets in. But what we typically think of as hunger is not there. But when it comes back at around the 40-day point, um, this is, uh, you know, everything in your flesh, not just that you're hungry and are ready for something to eat, but this is the survival, uh, you know, instinct, so to speak, in your flesh, uh, like, uh, again, I hope no one in this room has ever experienced. So when it says he was hungry, all right, that doesn't just mean that, you know, he skipped lunch and it's supper and his tummy's growling, okay? This is like, you know, hunger to the greatest extent or the greatest degree. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, I'm, I'm emphasizing, you know, the hunger that he had and, you know, these round, smooth, uh, you know, stones that look like loaves of bread, okay? Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, ever, you ever been fasting, riding down the road, and almost crash your car because you're drooling at an Arby's sign, you know? It's like, you know, again, when, you, when your body gets in that state, um, just the thought of food, anything that resembles food, um, is, is, is very, you know, has powerful attraction. And so, he points to the stone that I believe looked just like uh, a hot, fresh loaf of bread, and he says to him, you know, command the stone uh, to become bread. Now, notice in each of, you know, in, in verse 3, uh, he's calling into question who he is, if you be, if you are the Son. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showing him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory. This has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Verse 8, And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will give his angels charge over you to keep you. So no, notice now, he's not just calling into question his identity, but he's actually trying to use the, the Bible itself um, in, in the temptation. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, that's key word there, every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So every temptation here, what does that mean? Well, he was tempted in the lust of his flesh with the bread. He was tempted in the lust of his eyes in that he was shown the prize that he actually came here to take back the authority 
that Satan had stolen from Adam and Eve. And he's showing him that. Um, and then, of course, the pride of life when he's trying to tempt him to take his life in his own hands by throwing himself off the pinnacle of the temple. Amen? Yes? Okay. So, you know, the devil is sneaky, he's tricky, he's a deceiver, but it's really just these three key areas. Amen. It's what he used in the garden, it's what he used against Jesus, it's what he's used against every other human being that's ever lived, it's what he uses against you and me. Um, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. But notice, intertwined within these is this concept of desire and Satan's efforts to try and get us to place our desire uh, in things that, um, again, would draw us away from God's highest and best for our lives. Now, let me, are you good? Can we go a little further with this? Yes? Okay. So, um, here is, here's an important statement. If you take a note, you might want to write this down, okay? Life is choice-driven. Life is choice-driven. Okay? Again, life is choice-driven. Think about that. You may not want to think too hard about it right now because you can get lost in that thought, but there's a truth to that. Amen? Life is choice-driven. One choice leading to the next choice leading to the next choice. And it's by choices that we make that our lives are moved in a certain direction. Um, good choices lead us in good directions. Bad choices lead us in bad directions. Amen? The more good choices you make, the easier it becomes to make the next right choice. And, but yet we get caught up sometimes in making bad choices, and one bad choice can sometimes lead to panic and making multiple um, bad choices. All right? This is why um, I just want to encourage you that, uh, you know, I would love to believe that, that no one in this room, myself included, will ever commit another sin, ever, ever do an, another thing wrong. Um, but, you know, again, I'm not trying to be negative, but that's just not realistic, okay? Um, as long as we're in this flesh, we've got a devil to contend with, and um, we are prone to committing sin and to making a mistake. What we've got to realize is that Satan is trying to entice us not just into making one wrong choice, but he's hoping, it's, it's kind of like a lie, you know, um, if you ever tell one lie, then it's easier to tell another lie and harder to tell the truth after that. So he's hoping that one lie will lead to two and that two will lead to six, and um, you become so caught up in that that um, the truth seems uh, a distant memory, all right? So... Should you make a mistake, should you commit a sin, should you uh, slip up in some way, um, don't make the next bad choice, okay, amen, because life is choice driven. Now why are we bringing that up right now? Well, because what we desire has tremendous influence on our choices, right? This is why if we will value, prioritize consistently, um, you know, set our hearts and minds upon the right things and healthy things, then the power of our heart gets behind that and we start building momentum in a positive direction. You understand what I'm saying in that? We, in other words, some, sometimes I'm reluctant to use words eat like easy and hard, okay? Um, but I will use them here, okay? Um, the more wrong choices we make, the easier it becomes to make another wrong choice and the harder it becomes to make a right choice. 
So we build momentum up going in a wrong or negative direction. We've all been there, right? Okay. But look at where we are right now. We've been consistently setting our minds, our affections, our hearts, our desires upon right things, healthy things, good things, good people, good friends, good relationships, putting God first in our lives, setting our hearts and minds upon Him, setting our hearts and minds upon His words, setting our hearts and minds upon doing what pleases Him, setting our hearts and minds upon prayer, setting our hearts and minds upon worshiping Him, setting our hearts and minds upon assembling ourselves together, even if we do have a J-O-B that almost cost us right at the last minute. Yet here we are, right? You know what, was, even though it was a hard choice for you to make in spite of everything, it was still easier for you to come than it, w- than it was to lay out tonight because you've been making great choices now for months and months and months in your life, right? Effort, again, it's the effort that's, that's involved in that. So in the same way that, that one bad choice leads to another leads to another and it becomes easier to make the bad choice and harder to make the right one, now that we've got the momentum going in, in the spirit direction, in, in the... In the flesh and spirit, right? We, we're setting our minds upon the things of the, of the spirit and we're making choices that align with the things of the spirit. Now it's becoming easier and easier and easier to choose God, to choose right, to choose righteousness, to choose godliness, to choose holiness, um, and, and harder and harder uh, to, to take the step backwards. Yes? We have a word for that here. Progress. That's beautiful progress. Amen. Praise the Lord indeed. Okay, now, let me, and you know, this this may be something that makes the cut next year. I kind of think it will. Um, This is something that the Lord has has recently uh, laid upon my heart, and um, and it has to do with with where we are right now in our Sunday uh, study um, about knowing God, knowing Him. And this is what the Lord told me... uh, well, it's not even a week ago now, but um, are you ready? It's, it's, it's strong, okay? Um, you are as close to God as your desire will allow. You are as close to Him as your desire or desires um, will allow. And um, so the, the point behind that are... And again, there's some of this that we, we introduced this Sunday night. I, I didn't, hadn't really rolled my sleeves up and, and really unpacked it like we're going to, but I'll do a little of that right now. All right. Um, let's say you desire to have a friendship with someone in this room. Well, the only way that's ever going to happen is if they respond with the same kind of desire to, to be friends with you. You can desire a relationship with someone, but if that person doesn't desire that re- a relationship with you in return, then... Um, you know, in other words, in, in this example, the relationship is not based solely upon your desire for it, but it is a combination of both your desire and the desire of this other person, right? So, for instance, and I just, uh, I use Rick Renner as an example, okay? Rick Renner was one of the speakers at the conference. Um, he is a brilliant man. Um, he and his family moved to Russia 28 years ago. And what they are doing in Russia for the kingdom, I believe, um, only heaven will one day reveal um, how this man and his family have impacted um, uh, Russia for the kingdom of God. Um, he is a Greek scholar. Uh, he can break down the word in a way that, you know, he probably talked for an hour and a half the other day when he was through. I'm like, please tell me he's not finished, right? I mean, it's, he's that kind of brother. And um, sitting in the Kremlin, uh, end of last year, 
with an orchestra and a, I don't know how many hundred voice choir singing a mighty fortress is our God celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. He looked at his son with tears streaming down his face. He said 30 years ago we'd be put in prison for this. But for 28 years now we've been given freedom to preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, in what was former Soviet Union. Okay? All right? Now he'd be a pretty cool guy to be friends with. In other words, I would like to be Rick Renner's bud. Amen? <laughs> Unless the Holy Spirit does something to make that happen, it ain't happening, right? He don't even know who I am. You follow what I'm saying? He lives in Russia. Are you understanding? I see him on the internet. I see him on TV, and I hear him once a year at a conference in Texas. Now, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, again, he's a nice guy. It's not that, it's not like he's mean. I don't want to mark my You know, it's, not, but it's, just, it's just not, are you understand what I'm saying? There's all kinds of things that prevent a close relationship there. None of that is a factor when it comes to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He has made himself available. He has gone to great lengths and great expense to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with you. Amen. He is at the door knocking. He is in the yoke waiting. He is on his knees praying. He is just up ahead leading. Amen. In other words, he's waiting for you. So you are as close to him as your desires will allow. We're not, in this case, because it's a unique case, we're not like, man, I sure would like to have a relationship with God if he only wanted to have one with me. No, 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 please hear me. <laughs> he absolutely, positively wants a relationship with you so you're as close to him as your desires will allow. Amen. Last thing, I'm going to move to the next one. All right, and this is in, um, let me get the right, we'll look at this verse, we'll look at all these verses in a moment, but just for this section, Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, and this is in the King James Version. It reads a little different. I think it's translated what, whatsoever you will in the New King James. But again, that word will, in many cases throughout the Scriptures in the New Testament, could just as easily have been translated desire as opposed to will. And so in this, in this case, in the King James Version, it is desire. And this is what the Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, Jesus speaking, What things soever you desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, excuse me, and you shall have them. Um, man, for years I read this verse. I mean, you know, whole Word of Faith movement, Mark 11, uh, you know, 23, 24, you know, these are cornerstone verses um, in the earthly ministry and teaching of Jesus. I mean, if you understand what he's saying and what he's revealing and what he's un unveiling here, um, this is, you know, comparable to, to John chapter 3, verse 16. And so verses that I'd known, verses that I'd memorized, even from the King James, but it hit me, I don't know how many years ago, it was a decade or more ago, that all the emphasis is often placed upon what you say and what you believe and what you receive but I had never heard anybody teach this passage emphasizing the importance of desire. But desire is a key factor in answered prayer. Come on now. Desire is a key factor in receiving answers to your prayer or receiving from God by faith. 
So, again, he said, whatsoever things you desire, meaning that you've set your affection upon, you've set your heart upon, and now it's become something you know, that's, that's burning literally um, on the inside of you. And so many times I think, let me just <clears throat> mention this here. You know, we talked about this earlier when we were looking at the word of his power, talking about how much power was within the words that God has spoken and given to us. And the Bible makes it clear that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, you know, Peter said in John the sixth chapter that Jesus had the words of life. One translation, he says, when you speak, something comes alive on the inside of me. And the word is living and powerful. I know I'm just throwing a lot out here, but what I'm wanting you to see is that when it comes to things in your life that you desire, things that you need, maybe you're here tonight and you need something in the area of finances, maybe you're here tonight and there's something pertaining to the area of, um, of your physical health or well-being, you know, some, you need healing in your body, for instance. Well, I know it's almost like, well, you know, who's really sick that doesn't want to be well? I understand that. In other words, if you're sick and you're hurting, you want to not hurt anymore, you want to be well. But what I want to, I guess, just mention if I could tonight is spend some time in the Word of God developing that desire. You understand what I mean? Read about people who were sick and have been healed. Read about the promises that God made concerning healing. Read about healing in the Old Testament. Read about healing in the New Testament. In other words, begin to plant the Word of God in your heart. Begin to hear or listen to, and it's okay if you're hearing your own voice. Amen. But as you, what are we doing when we do this? We're setting our minds. We're setting our attention. We're focusing now on, in this case, in this example, healing and what the Bible has to say about it. And we're hearing it and hearing it and setting it before our eyes and not letting it depart from in front of us. And what this is doing, it's beginning to stir faith and build faith and arouse faith and awaken faith inside of you. Now, when you pray from that position, come on now, when you pray from that position, it's different. I don't know how to say it. I don't know. You know, some things are, are easier caught than taught. Do what? It's, there's, there's some oomph behind it. There's some strong faith behind it, right? And so, for instance, in a minute we're going to get to, I hope we get to it tonight, we're going to get to the power of, of the words of your mouth. Um, we've got one more to cover before we get there. So, but let me just say this. One of the reasons so many people dismiss what the Bible teaches about a faith confession is because a large part of what people call a faith confession really is not a faith confession. It's just somebody hearing something about making a faith confession and decided they're going to try it. Okay, A real faith confession is when you have heard the Word, you have hid the Word, the Word of God is growing and burning inside of you, and then you release that out of your mouth. Right? Let me say it, let me say it another way, and this is the best way that I've just experienced it in my own life. Um, sometimes you have to make a faith confession for a while until you can make a faith confession. You understand what I'm saying? 
In other words, you confess it, you say it, you confess it, you say it, you speak to it, you speak to it, you say it, you speak to it, you say it, you speak to it, you say it. And what you don't realize is every time you speak to it and say it, you're hearing it. And every time you hear it, faith's growing inside of you. And every, are you following what I'm saying? You can, you, you're setting this, this law of attraction is happening. You're, you're creating tension between this world and the spirit realm. Amen. And so then you come to this point. Remember we talked about Abraham and Sarah, first time they heard the promise of God about a child, they laughed out loud. But then over time, the Bible says, Romans 4 tells us, that by, by giving glory to God concerning the promise, by, by holding that promise up before the Lord, by worshiping God, by confessing that out of their mouths, hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, Abraham went from a place of weak faith to a place of strong faith. He went from laughing at the idea of it to not only receiving the promise, but believing that if he plunged a knife into Isaac's chest and killed him, that God would raise him from the dead. That's some strong faith right there. You follow what I'm saying? So how did he get there? He got there by focusing on the promise and, and choosing to not consider, the Bible says, how old he was or how dead Sarah's womb was. In other words, there were some things he chose to consider and other things he chose to no longer consider. Are you following this? And he did that until faith began to grow and develop and build inside of him. And so he goes from laughing at the idea of it to can't, seeing it, can't see it any other way. And all of this is something that took place inside him and it's the power that resides in the Word of God. The Bible says it this way, and, and I know that I'm taking the Scripture in some ways out of context, but it's just as true for the positive as it is for the negative. In Proverbs, he says, Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? In other words, the idea is that, and the context there is committing sin, sexual sin, and we think, well, you know, it's consenting adults, whatever. And he's like, man, you, you have no idea what you've just done. You, you just took something into your life that has affected you in a negative way inwardly. I'm not trying to be negative, but... I, Probably more than likely, uh, more than myself has been there, okay? Amen or oh me. Alright, so, but in the same way, how much more powerful is the Word of God? And Lord, you can't keep packing the Word of God in your heart and not be burned, not be set on fire, not become so consumed, come on now, with the promises of God as they begin to affect and, and influence and develop and grow your faith. what's going to develop in our heart as we think so are we amen amen i know and i'm i guess in some ways i'm kind of crossing over into some things we're going to be talking about this year on wednesday nights the first quarter of this year i believe but you know we read these things about faith we read these things about Praying, and when you pray, believe that you receive and you will have them. And, you know, on one hand, and I stand by this, I, mean, I believe with all my heart. On one hand, what Jesus has done for us is he has made it easy to receive from God. Right? 
But then on the other hand, it's like, well, if it's so easy to receive, Pastor Martin, why am I not receiving? Well, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We can all, always pray that prayer, right? But I think it comes back to, like what Chris was saying as well, our minds, that whole, if the eye be single, the whole body be full of light, if the eye be evil, what he's literally talking about there is uh, double vision versus singular vision. If your focus is fragmented and divided, then, you know, it's, that means you're drawing all kinds of different things from all kinds of different places into your life at once. Been there, done that, right? How about singular focus, drawing that into our lives, into our hearts, that building and growing and igniting and, and setting on fire faith inside of us, and then releasing that faith when we pray and we believe. See, it's the desire part, not that we don't want our prayers to be answered, but it's back to that whole desire part where, you know, I've, I've heard people say it different ways. Bryce Hankins comes to mind right off, right? He came to a point where his prayer was, now listen, you can't, it's kind of like those seven sons of Sceva, they saw, uh, uh, Paul casting out devils in the name of Jesus and so they decided they was going to cast out a devil in the name of Jesus and they said to the, the demon possessed man <clears throat> we adjure you you know use the word adjure uh, we adjure you uh, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches see there's something missing there were the words right? yes but what was missing? the heart connection the inward connection to all this right? And so those demons just jumped on that man about beating him, beat him naked, beat him senseless, right? And they said, look, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but we have no idea who you are. Are you following what I'm saying here? So just because Bryce did this, they well, okay, let me write that down and go do it myself. No, no, see, it was, it was a desire in his heart. Y'all know the prayer, right? God, either, either change me or let me die. Change me or let me die. Now, see, that is, that's real. He's on his knees. He's crying out to God, right? You, you follow what I'm saying? In other words, he didn't hear me say, Bryce, you ought to go tell God to change you or let you die and see if that won't work. No, no. See, this is something that's coming out of a desire in his heart, a genuine desire that said, God, I want to change more than life itself. You see, right? Amen. So it's not... We're going to get into all this on Sundays, and I know some of you aren't able to come on Sunday, so I'm not trying to scatter us out. I feel like I've scattered us out a little too far tonight, talking about Wednesday nights you know, after this class and Sunday mornings. Um, but God is not playing hard to get. You know, that, when you look at what Paul said, he counted as loss so that he might gain a close personal relationship with Jesus. If you just look at that without understanding spiritual things, you think that God's placing all these huge demands on us and that, and that you know, God's saying, look, you either give this up or you seek me with everything or you can't have me and all these other things. It's, it, it's, it's not God that's limiting our relationship with him. It's our desires for other things that limits our relationship. You can't, notice he went on to say it and, and we, didn't, we read it, we didn't comment on it. He says, you can't serve God in money. You can't love one and... and and, 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 and the other at the same time. You can't be loyal to two opposing things. 
And you're not the exception. You, can't be, you will not be the one person who loves God and the world at the same time. It's, it's, it's not possible. These, these things... But it's not that God is like, um, you know, playing hard to get and isolating himself and making all these demands and making you jump through all these hoops. It just comes down to, do you want him or not? Is that desire there or not? And sometimes I think we... I know this is a strong statement again, but I'm, I'll just speak for myself. You know, but here's here's the here's the classic example: two men hearing uh, this lady just ab- absolutely wearing out a piano, just most beautiful melodic you know piano ever, and um, and one friend looks at the other and he says, "Man, I'd give anything to play the piano." He goes, "Oh, really? Did you take lessons when you were little?" "Oh, no, no." "Oh, okay." "But I would give anything to play the piano." Oh, really? He said, do you have a piano? No, no. He said, well, um, but I would give anything to play a piano. He said, why are you sitting here telling me you would give anything to play a piano when you've done nothing to play a piano? You see? Now, that man, I'm sure, was convinced in his heart that he would give anything to play the piano. In other words, he was convinced that he had a desire to play the piano, but there was no action or effort whatsoever on his part to prove that desire. Do you understand what I'm saying? Am I, did, was that? So did he really want it then? Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of like faith. people talk about the faith that they have, but James, he wasn't trying to undo the teachings of Paul um, because we're not on a works basis with God. But what James was trying to say and, and said very beautifully, wonderfully so, is that if we genuinely have faith, it will be evidence in the things that we do. See, so many times we've, we've tried to take faith as a formula, and obviously faith without works is dead. Faith without a corresponding action is dead. And so people are like, okay, so, so if I really believe, then I'll do this, so let me go start trying to do this. What you don't understand is, back to Bryce, Bryce didn't hear, you might get God's attention, Bryce, if you tell him you'd rather die than stay the same. You see, that was something in his heart that came out of his mouth, not something that came out of somebody else's mouth that he thought he would go, and practice a try. Are you following what I'm saying here? So the point being, back to the, maybe I should have left the piano story alone. I told it Sunday morning in class, and I'm not sure how well it went over there either, but I'm, I'm just, I'm trying, I guess I'm trying to make a simple point. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we want something that we really don't want. <laughs> the heart can be very, can be very deceptive. And so, you know, it's one thing for, the devil to deceive you, it's another thing for another person to deceive you, but you can deceive yourself. And one of the key ways that we deceive ourselves is into thinking that we want stuff that we really don't want. But it's easy to say, I'd give anything to play the piano, but that lady playing that piano, even if she was gifted, like my, use my nephew Will as an example, Will picked up a guitar and could play it. But he still plays hours and hours a week to develop that gift. You follow what I'm saying? So even if she could sit down at the piano and play it, she has still invested thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours in, into being able to play the piano like that. You follow what I'm saying? So it's easy for us to talk about what we desire, what we want, what, but you know, I think what we really need to ask ourselves is, is do we, do our checkbooks reflect that? Do our calendars reflect that? Do, Amen. Yes. I think a lot of times uh, 
Yeah. Now, or maybe, or maybe have tried to do something and failed at it, and then that only discourages you even more. You know, I, I have, I have been. Ever, everyone has different gifts, and so the Bible says we should not compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And so I haven't really known how to put into words what I experienced this morning in class. Okay. I know Teresa and Brittany were there. Were you there this morning, Chris? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? What we experienced in class this morning with the testimony? Yeah, yeah. Was that just me, or was that like? The sincerity, the content, the honesty, the word, the boldness. But there's another factor in all this. Another factor in all this. And that is the gift that our sister has to communicate. I was, I don't know if spellbound is the right, is that even, that's not even a Jesus word, is it? It, it was spellbinding. And I'm sitting there going like, okay, but... Of, 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 all, of, of all of that, I'm not trying to set the bar. So, no, go, go. I'm sorry. I never saw it coming. The surprise, that was the other element. I'm like, where has this been for 24 weeks? You know, I'm 20, you know I mean, it's like, what in the world? Okay. All right. But, and again, I'm, I'm reluctant to say this, but I'm telling you, I've heard, not just at the foundry, I've been, I am a testimony collector. Are you sure what I'm saying? All right, I mean, there was a time I had 200 in handwrite, handwriting that I got from people, testimonies, okay? I'm not sure I've ever heard one better. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to set this bar so high. I certainly wasn't going to say that in front of Jamie. She's got to give hers tomorrow, right? Okay, but amen. But I'm, I'm not ignoring what Arthur said. I'm coming back to it. Because, brother, the great victory in her life was not freedom from drugs or what God's done for her as far as what's coming next it's that he delivered her from what you said right there feeling worthless feeling like a loser feeling like a failure it, that that and it wasn't again it was coming from her heart it wasn't like okay let me see if i can repeat some of the things pastor mark wants to hear you know Okay, all right. Okay, so watch this now. Because the context of, of it wasn't, oh, these terrible things I've done, oh, this child that I've aborted, oh, this child that I've neglected. No, it wasn't that. It was how that made her feel and what that drove her to do for many, many years in her life, but now whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Okay? Now watch this, all right? Um, 
dry skin. It's the season of dry skin, right? Okay, so uh, I am a, uh, a, you know, I don't know if, just don't judge me, okay? But I have a tendency sometimes to pick the dry skin there on my hands, all right? As long as it's dead, you can bite it, chew it, pick it, pull it, spit it, twist it, whatever, right? Because it's dead. It's only painful when you get to the live part. Do you know how I know our sister is free? Because she could talk about that stuff unashamed, right? Like you said, the hardest, most painful thing for a mother to ever say was, I was a failure where my children were concerned. But now she could say in front of a group of women, that's not who I am anymore. In other words, to make sure I'm making the point, to make sure I'm making the point, that part of her life is so dead, she can bite it, chew it, throw it out on the table, free. Don't have to hide it, don't have to deny it, don't have to, no condemnation. Um, Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right people. Absolutely. Desire choices. So if you go back to what Arthur, the point that Arthur was making, because you're on it, brother, right? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, makes the power of heaven available mighty in its working, okay? So Satan wants to attack that truth and identity in our lives to where we never see ourselves as righteous men and women. The Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked run when no one's chasing them, right? So to speak to mountains, to command trees to be plucked up, to raise the dead, well, you better be bold if you're going to do that, right? You, you, you see what I'm saying? So the idea then is, and it's one of those key areas that, and that's why I guess, I, anyway, if I've talked too much about that testimony, I don't apologize. I'm just saying I'm trying to help you understand where I'm coming from because that was the beauty in it. I mean, it, it and there's all kinds of things that God's done in her life, but she, not only did she give testimony to the, the one thing that she realized was the most important thing is that she didn't see herself as a lousy mother and a failure, drug addict, loose woman anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. She sees herself as a daughter of God. And, uh, brother, like...
Can't please him without it. So what if your heart's not into the Word of God? Well, no, but if your heart's not into it, what do you do? You make it a priority, right? You, you, you say this. But see, but what you just said, Brittany, you didn't use the word, but what you just said is at some point along the way, your heart got connected to this relationship with Jesus. Your heart got connected with hearing the word of God. Your heart got connected with worship and prayer and, and, and being kind to other people. And you see, there was, the joys of salvation are greater than the pleasures of sin. The joys of salvation are greater than the pleasures of sin. The joys of salvation are greater than the pleasures of sin. We've experienced the pleasures of sin. We've made the pleasures of sin a priority. We've chased, we've chased after them. We've, we've pursued them. We've set our focus on them and, and, and been attracted to them, and they've been attracted to us, right? Now, you know, not, not maybe necessarily you guys and gals, because y'all have been all in in this thing, right? But, but so then you stand up in front of somebody and say, the joys of salvation are greater than pleasures of sin. They have no experience in the joys of salvation yet. And so it's like, I wish that was true, Pastor Mark, but... You know, sober life sounds like the most boring and, and, and awful way, miserable way to live. They have no experience, right? And that's where, again, you have to set your heart. You have to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to go after. Um, and, man, next thing you know, you wake up one day and your heart has become captured by it. And, and that's um, everywhere you go. Joy of the Lord's our strength. Amen. Eyes are open to it. Praise God. Yes. Amen. His gifts are without repentance. Amen. Never take it back. Never take it back. Amen. All right. Number four. We got a few minutes. Can we look at number four? At least get started on it. We're talking about what is man. Number four. Um, man is a being created in the image and likeness of God with the ability to agree. The ability to agree. A-G-R-E-E. -E. All right. You want the whole thing? What is man? Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Did I say who possesses? Who has? It's easy to say has. Who has, possesses the ability to agree. Well, it comes. Amen. That's, that's the verse I have my Bible open to. Um, but, but. 
let's go back to all those things we talked about the Trinity. Because God is one God in three persons. And um, each member of the Trinity is centered upon and focused upon the other two. None ever demands his own way, but exists to give glorifying love to the other two. And so in this harmony, this oneness, this unity, as I was listening to it, actually today, uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he's talking about this, this dynamic of love, this pulsating life force, amen, that has created all things. And so we were created by God with the ability to be in agreement with Him, harmony with Him, union, unity, oneness with Him, but also with the ability to be in harmony, unity, oneness with one another. God is a unifier, okay? Satan is the one who brings division. Satan is the one who tries to conquer and divide, so to speak. And, of course, we see in Scripture where a nation divided cannot stand. We see in Scripture where a family divided cannot stand. A church divided cannot stand. But all the way down even to, James says, a double-minded man, a man divided will be unstable in all of his ways. So when we talk about this ability to agree, this, this ability to come into agreement, this ability to come into um, to oneness, um, it goes back to that for which God created us, and that is to be one with him and to be one uh, with one another. Now, this is uh, one of my... Uh, it's not just a recovery maxim, it's a, it's a discipleship maxim, right? And that is the best advice you could ever give anyone is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. No one has ever prospered by disagreeing with God. No one has ever succeeded by disagreeing with God. No one has ever lived a victorious life by disagreeing with God. Amen. God's always right. If you go back to that relationship example we gave um, earlier in the class, you know, if me and Lou have a disagreement with one another, then pretty good chance that um, I'm wrong and Lou's right, okay? But more than likely, there's going to be a little bit of right and wrong on my side, and there's going to be a little bit of right and wrong on his side, right? But if I'm ever in disagreement with God, because God's never wrong, ever wrong at all, then any disagreement I have with him is on me. Amen? So, harmony with God, reconciliation with God, the heart of discipleship. Sister Betty mentioned the verse in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19. We talk about the power of agreement. And that's mainly, I don't have a lot on this one, just about a page of notes, so I think we can push on through it right quick. Seven minutes. Um, 
one of the things that we've been trying to emphasize throughout each of these different points is the power that these attributes have both for good, positive, as well as bad or negative in our lives. So how powerful is the is desire, right? Well, desire can pull you completely away from God's best. How powerful is your ability to believe? Nothing's impossible to him who believes. The ability to, to agree, Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. He says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. One more time, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Okay? Now, this, of course, is speaking again about prayer. It's speaking about faith. It's speaking about receiving from God. And we see that there is power in agreement. The Bible teaches something called synergy. <coughs> it's in the, in the Greek, the word is spelt um, with a U, sooner geo, okay? And um, we get our English word synergy from that. And the idea behind synergy is that two people working together can produce more units of work than the sum of their individual efforts. So I'll try to explain it this way. If Michael working at a task can produce eight units of work and I work at that same task by myself can produce four units of work, then you would think that if Michael and I work together, we could produce 12 units of work. But the way synergy operates, and it's a, it's, it's a godly principle because of his blessing upon unity, instead of eight units and four units combined working together producing 12 units, it would be eight units and four units working together to produce 20 units. You see what I'm saying? In other words, by working together we can produ produce more than we could working separately and combining them at the end of the day. That's, that's the idea behind synergy. Um, one will put a thousand to flight, two will put ten thousand to flight. That's what the, the principle of the Bible, right? So the idea is that one person can put a thousand demons on the run, two people agreeing together, not two thousand, but ten thousand. That's synergy, all right? So I want to just encourage you when it comes to prayer and agreement, um, you know, don't take it lightly. In other words, there's a very powerful principle here. Um, you were talking a moment ago, Michael, about being surrounded by the right people and, you know, people who are all pulling in the same direction, people who are headed the same way you're headed. Um, the, there's only one body of Christ, but the Bible talks about different, different tribes or companies. Amen. And the Bible talks about a like precious faith. Not every born-again believer, and they're on their way to heaven, but not every born-again believer agreed with the Apostle Paul. So when the Apostle Paul would find gr groups who received and believed what he said, he referred to the like precious faith that they shared.
Okay? So, um, I can get along with a lot of folks, but not everyone necessarily agrees with me. You understand what I'm saying? Or me with them. So, we talk about a prayer of agreement. So this is very, very powerful. Um, I know not everyone in here is married. Some of, some of you are. Okay? The, the agreement that exists between a husband and wife is something that scares the devil out of his brains. I mean, I mean just, it freaks him out because it's two people who've been made one spirit by God. And, and the power of a husband and a wife in agreement is why Satan tries so hard to bring disagreement between husbands and wives, okay? So there's tremendous power, tremendous power in agreement. But don't take it for granted. In other words, don't just say, well, you agree with me. I mean, sometimes we say touch and agree and fist bump, that sort of thing. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, but how much more if we do with another person what we've been doing as described earlier, when we take a moment with that person and say, hey, I need you to agree with me, and this is what I'm praying for, these are the verses I've been confessing, these are the things that, you know, in other words, taking a, taking a minute or two um, to, to reinforce and, and establish and, um, and build upon that agreement. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and to be honest with you, I've had folks over the years that have asked me to agree with them about things that I couldn't agree with them. It, 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 was, it, it was, did not line up with God or His Word. And um, I, listen, that's, that's between them and God, but I can't, I can't agree with you on that. You know? And I've just had to be, I'll tell you what I can pray, I'll tell you what I can agree with you on, and and um, and usually at that point, I'll just pray that God would give them wisdom, and you know, and move on from there. So, but take that very seriously. Um, the last part, I know I'm out of time. In Genesis 11 and 6, we have um, the story of the Tower of Babel. In verse 6, it says this: "And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one; they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do." will be withheld from them. So the idea, of course, is in this particular example, the, the purpose of these people's heart, um, the purpose of their hearts was not a godly purpose. This was not some godly endeavor. This was not some assignment that God had given them. This was something they, that they took upon themselves. And yet because there was such tremendous unity and agreement um, towards this project um, that God said because they are one and they all have one language what they begin to do not only will they accomplish this but nothing that they propose will be withheld from them. Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And of course this is where God comes and confuses the language. Um, but the, the, the point being, obviously there's lots of other fascinating things to consider there, but the key point is that here are folks who have come into agreement apart from a divine purpose, and yet just the humanity agreeing together is accomplishing something 
outside of the will of God that God had to intervene on. That's how powerful um, agreement uh, can be, and of course it's why the enemy tries so hard to uh, disrupt it. Amen? Yes, Brian. Spiritual law is a spiritual law, whether somebody understands it or not. So someone that doesn't believe in seed time and harvest can plant a seed and it'll still produce a harvest and grow. Yeah, sure will, brother. It's good. It's kind of like gravity. It, it applies whether you believe in it or not. <laughs> Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. We thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Father, for the things that you're teaching us. Thank you, Father, that you're building a burning desire within us, Father, to have your best, do your best, live a life that pleases you and that fulfills the purpose that you've given to each one of us. Lord, I thank you for those who have to go their separate ways now. I thank you for a blessed evening for them. Lord, I thank you for the service that is yet ahead here at Heritage, Lord. And Lord, just let it be the best Wednesday night service we've ever had. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all so much for being here. Good things.